This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Do you remember when America became the leader of the world we live in? There have been many, many moments where we as a country have shown that we are the shining city on the hill. But if you had to narrow it down to a specific date, what would it be? If you're having trouble with this assignment, don't worry. Our president is here to clear it up. If you think about it, what was the reason why we led the world beginning around 1905, 6, and 7, and 8? Of course, 1905, 6, 7, and 8, the most important years in the history of our country. And of course, we all agree on the reason. We became the first nation in the world to have universal education of 1 through 12 for everybody, no matter what. Without cause. Uh, r- never forget the fateful year of 1905, 6, 7, and 8. The year we began to offer universal education of 1 through 12 to everybody, no matter what. Because obviously the real innovation of America is centralized government schools that teach our kids to be racist sex addicts by third grade. I gotta, of course. And I have to say, as a guy who pays property taxes, I'm pretty stunned to hear that public schools are free. I can't wait to get a big fat refund. But while there might not be a direct cost for public school, we can certainly all agree there is definitely a cost to having a completely incoherent president. Stu does America. Well, on blazetv.com slash Stu, you can party like it's 19, 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's true. Uh, use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. Dave Rubin is here to convince you not to burn this country down. Joe Biden's brain is breaking down on camera yet again. Not the last one you just saw, but a new time. Uh, but we start by doing disinformation. Disinformation, misinformation, malinformation. Yes, you're going to be hearing a lot about those terms here in the next few months because this is a strategy. It's a central strategy of the Democratic Party at this point because they know right now you are flooded with terrible news about them. So they have to say that news is not real. <laughs> That's essentially the entire strategy in a nutshell. Uh, They've decided to take this out of their normal ways of doing it, which is lying themselves, lying through campaign officials, uh, getting their buddies in the media to lie for them. And now they're taking it all the way up to the government level. Um, Alejandro Mayorkas, whose last name sounds like Greek yogurt. Every time I hear it, I think of Greek yogurt. Now I want Greek yogurt because Mayorkas just sounds like the type of thing that has 14 grams of protein per serving. I don't know. Uh, Mayorkas is uh, now going to create a disinformation governance board. Uh, They're upset because, of course, Elon Musk is bringing in uh, Twitter into his uh, group of companies that he's controlling. Critics are slamming Biden's Ministry of Truth to police the Internet for disinformation information. Uh, Is federal censorship coming? Biden administration creating disinformation governance board, according to a report, uh, this one from the Daily Wire. You don't want these headlines. You'd prefer not to have them. Now, of course, they had to have someone who was going to head this up. And you'd think you'd find someone who had the most, I don't know, 
like boring background, never was on television saying crazy things, not the type of person that can be easily criticized. Someone who kind of comes maybe from the middle that's going to have real credibility. Of course, that's not the direction they went. They went with Nina Jankowitz. Now, who the heck is Nina Jankowitz? You might not know Nina Jankowitz. Well, she's a person who uh, seemed to uh, think the, uh, the, the dossier, the Steele dossier, was pretty credible. She's a person who said the Hunter Biden laptop was a Trump product, which, by the way, it was not. It was a Hunter Biden uh, product. Um, and, of course, she was on television not that long ago in 2020 giving... This, this, I want to make sure you understand, when you see this clip, this is not disinformation. This is the person they've put in charge of fighting disinformation. Watch. I think there's a general concern about Trump supporters potentially showing up armed to the polls and these sorts of voter suppression, voter intimidation, that's illegal everywhere. Of course, there are, you know, rules for party observers, partisan observers to be in the polling station. But in 40 states, you need special accreditation to do that. And I think there's just, again, a widespread fear that, you know, uh, groups of irregular supporters are going to show up at the polls to intimidate people and quote unquote watch. And that's very disturbing. You don't want irregular supporters showing up. That would be very, very bad. Of course, this didn't happen. It wasn't going to happen. At no point was it going to happen. And yet she's on television saying it very well might happen and attributing it to general concern. I mean, this is the definition of misinformation, malinformation, disinformation, all the anti-information things they're supposedly going to be fighting. But of course, they're not fighting disinformation. They're fighting conservative thought. They don't care if a lie occurs. They care if a lie occurs and it hurts them. They also really care more than anything if the truth is aired and it hurts them. And, you know, the left does this all the time. They take something that could theoretically be useful and then co-opt it for their own purposes. Let me give you an example. Fact checkers. Now, Fact-checking is now a joke, especially anyone who's from the center to the right. You look at this and you're like, oh, God, another fact-checker with another fact-check. You roll your eyes at it. But, like, we are definitely in a time where it would be really valuable to have actual fact-checkers. It would be great to have a place to go to where you could look at it and that you could say, hey, this is uh, the here's the truth behind this. That's a nonpartisan team of people who say, hey, you know what? The conservatives are right on this one. Liberals are right on this one. They're both kind of right on this other one. They're both pretty much wrong on this one. Whatever the answer is, but someone who is actually uh, balanced and sane about these things that can tell you, you know what? Uh, the, the Hunter Biden thing was real. It actually did happen. Um, but, you know, I don't know, Pizzagate wasn't real. It would be nice to have someone who could come out and tell you about these things. I'll give you an example even on the right recently. Uh, we've talked a lot about libs of TikTok over the past uh, couple of weeks. This account that was uh, targeted by the Washington Post and, uh, she, and the owner of the account was doxxed. Well, they posted one document out of the thousands of things they've posted over the years uh, that wound up being a troll job from, uh, you know, some Internet, uh, you know, troll. And it was not a real document and uh, it was not associated with the school district. And, you know, this happens. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, These things happen. And it's not that big of a deal, especially if you have people you can depend on to say, hey, this one's not real. The problem is the people that would say that this one isn't real have also said the last 50 or 100 things that Libs of TikTok posted. They also said those weren't real when they were. 
It would be nice to have a fact-checking service that could be trusted, but it's never going to happen and certainly not going to happen like this through the government, where I don't even think it's constitutional. Certainly not constitutional if they have any teeth to it. Uh, So it's really amazing. And this is not just some one-off thing from Joe Biden. This is central to the left's strategy. Uh, Barack Obama, who is done failing on podcasts and Netflix shows, has decided to now dedicate his life to fight disinformation. You might find that an agonizing thought, considering we went through eight years of this guy being president, where all he did was sit there and lie to you constantly. So you might be frustrated to hear that this guy is going to be the guy who's going to save us all from disinformation. But I will say it's very clear this is not a disinformation uh, fight. This is about many other things. Let me give you, uh, this is from a speech you may have missed, I think it was last week, where Barack Obama decided to launch this little project totally unrelated to the announcement of the government ministry of truth that came out uh, over the, over the, overnight. This is uh, just a totally unrelated speech by the guy he was in the White House with just, uh, just a few years ago. Uh, here's Barack Obama talking about the problems we have with information. It's not just that these platforms have with narrow exceptions, been largely agnostic regarding the kind of information available and connections made on their site. Have they been? It's that in the competition between truth and falsehood, cooperation and conflict, the very design of these platforms seems to be tilting us in the wrong direction. Yeah, what direction is that, Barack? What direction is that? It's not the direction away from truth. Occasionally, people out the left for the things that they do. Sometimes people notice the things that people on the left do. And when attention is drawn to those things, people are usually um, revolted by them. (laughs) They don't want them. That's not the direction they want to go in. The left hates when you point out what they're doing. They hate it. They've hated it forever. And now social media exists in a way that allows people on the right and in the middle and some on the left to say, wait a minute, uh, I don't like this. Are you guys aware of what's going on in these schools? They hate that we're doing this. And this is why it must continue. It's important to understand, too, that this has nothing to do with fighting disinformation. This has to do with stopping conservative voices. And, you know, fighting disinformation sounds great. But who gets to decide? They want the government to decide. They want fact checkers to decide. People like PolitiFact. Well, who are they? They're they're their friends. They're their buddies on the left. They're the people constantly tilting these fact checking rulings in the favor of the left. Barack Obama had a lot more to say uh, this time about the First Amendment, which apparently he knows exists. The First Amendment is a check on the power of the state. It doesn't apply to private companies like Facebook or Twitter. Nope, it doesn't. Any more than it applies to Editorial decisions made by the New York Times or Fox News. Why did you go after Fox News? Never has. Why did you do that? Social media companies already Mm. make choices about what is or is not allowed on their platforms. They make choices. And how that content appears. It's true. Both explicitly through content moderation and implicitly through algorithms. Mm -hmm. The problem is we often don't know what principles govern those decisions. Mm. And on an issue of enormous public interest... There has been little public debate and practically no democratic oversight. What country are you living in? What do you mean there's been little public debate over social media? What are you talking about? It's all we freaking talk about, I feel like, all the time. I feel like we talk about it too much. 
blah, 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 blah. Social media, everybody on the right is talking about it. Everybody on the left is talking about it. It's a constant piece of information and conversation all the time. And of course, you know, the, when he says the problem, what was the quote? The problem is we often don't know what principles govern those decisions. Now, Elon Musk, who has been the big starter of all this, all these problems about social media over the past couple of weeks, at least according to the left, his promise is just, I'm going to make that transparent. I'm going to tell you exactly how the algorithm works and you can look at it and know exactly why uh, certain content appears and certain content doesn't appear. And the battle here is not just about taking misinformation off of the internet. It's taking political opinions off of the internet. You know, if I were to say men can't get pregnant, that is something they want to pull off the internet. They want to say that that's hateful when obviously it's also, you know, true. Um, if you, if you happen to believe in the biblical definition of marriage, well, you know, back like 2008, Barack Obama, that guy, um, if you believe as 2008 and up till I think 2011, Barack Obama did that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Well, now you're a hate monger that doesn't belong online. I don't think that that is the type of thing that certainly a government should be micromanaging, but even a social media company should be micromanaging. They might have the right to do that, as Barack Obama points out. They do. However, that doesn't mean they should do it. And what Elon Musk is saying is, I'm not going to do it that way. We're going to say, hey, what's legal, what isn't? Let's let most of the stuff fly. If it gets really bad, we'll give you a timeout, but we're not going to ban you permanently. Um, When you go through all the common denominators of, of all of these programs by the left, what you find is over and over and over again, it's all about whoever disagrees with their views gets thwarted and whoever agrees with them gets promoted. That's how this works. It's plain and simple, apparently. Here's some more with Barack Obama talking about content moderation. While content moderation can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, it doesn't go far enough. It never does for you, does it? Users who want to spread disinformation have become experts at pushing right up to the line of what at least published company policies allow. Mm. And at those margins, social media platforms tend not to want to do anything. No, really? Not just because they don't want to be accused of censorship, because they still have a financial incentive to keep as many users engaged as possible. More importantly, these companies are still way too guarded about how exactly their standards operate or how their engagement ranking systems influence what goes viral and what doesn't. What's interesting about this is the more transparent you get, the more people will be gaming the system, the more people will understand the system and the more people will walk up to that line. And, you know, you have to, as a as a person who respects the American people, you'd think you'd be able to embrace this and say, you know what, people are going to say some crazy crap on the Internet. I don't know if you've ever been on the Internet But that's basically what the entire thing is. A bunch of people saying a bunch of crazy crap about different things. That is really like the foundational element of the Internet. But somehow we're able to survive as a society, not because they've moderated too much or too little, but because people, generally speaking, go about their business. And even when they take in misinformation or malinformation or disinformation, go along with their lives in a pretty normal fashion. I mean, think about this for a minute. When's the last time your opinion was was changed by a tweet? Can you think of a time? 
Can you think of a time where a, 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 an article in your Facebook feed changed your mind? Now, you're probably a pretty engaged news watcher. That might, it might not be completely fair to you to use you as an example. There are a lot of people who don't follow the news that closely and might get swayed by a tweet or something here and there. It's not impossible, but it's also just reality. You know, the, the people who never have to worry about fact-checking any of their freaking claims are politicians. They get to say whatever they want, often protected by the law. People like Harry Reid can go on the floor of the Senate and say Mitt Romney never paid his taxes and can't possibly get in trouble for it because he's protected uh, uh, behind the wall of the Senate when we get in trouble every time we say anything that's out of the line at all from what progressives want to hear. Uh, finally, uh, you know, as Obama was discussing there, hey, we, we moderation just doesn't go far enough. Well, what do we do? Guess what? Regulation is coming to town. I think it is reasonable for us as a society to have a debate and then to put in place a combination of regulatory measures and uh, industry norms. Shocking. Uh, that leave intact the opportunity for these platforms to make money. Mm, that's so nice. But say to them that there, there's there's certain practices you engage in that we are not we don't think are good for our society <laughs> and, and we're going to discourage. He's trying so hard not to sound like a dictator here. I mean, you got to give him a little bit of uh, a little bit of credit. He's trying his best. Um, this is just an election tactic. I mean, you call everything disinformation that disagrees with you. You bring in authority figures on your side to confirm it. And then you ramp up the rhetoric leading to the election. They're doing the best that they can here. But in the government's hand, first of all, I believe this is unconstitutional and should be immediately dismissed by the American people as such. As such. It's, it's, it's offensive. It's offensive to our country and the way it's been built. The government is, has no role in micromanaging disinformation on the Internet like this. If, if laws are both broken, that's another story. But we do not need a disinformation board. And let me show you how badly these things go. The idea here is basically, OK, this is a board that's going to serve the people and help them with disinformation. Let me give you another example. And, and, and this is a real thing that you've all seen before. The freaking press secretary. Yeah, Jen Psaki herself and so many before her. What is that job supposed to be? That job is not supposed to be a campaign spokesperson. That job is not supposed to be someone who does the best job they can lying for the president. That job is supposed to be a job to inform you about what's going on in the White House. You pay them. This isn't a campaign job. This is a job that is supposed to be public service, that is supposed to take information from behind the doors of the White House and present it to you so you can be an informed citizen. But it's become a TV spin job. It's a battle between a way to show off to reporters. It's a way to bash uh, Donald Trump in the last administration. Uh, And then you have people like, you know, whoever, Sean Spicer, uh, uh, Kayleigh McEnany, just out there trying to do the best that she can to defend against the press. Now it's Jen Psaki defending against the one tough question she gets every, you know, every few days from Peter Ducey. The question here, though, is you see what happens when this stuff gets in. It become it goes from a, a role that made some sense, right? A person who's going to help the American people understand what's going on in their government and turns into something to maintain more power for the people who are in control of it. It happens over and over again, and it will happen with this board if we allow it to occur. The left has an established history of trying to shut down opposing views. This is what they do. Look, the truth is that we do need to fight disinformation. We do. 
The problem is the people constantly empowering themselves to fight it are the same people providing it. The government is certainly not the place to fight it. The media has abandoned all efforts at credibility, so they can't do it either. And even if they could, the answer is not to shut everyone up that disagrees with them. You present evidence. You hope to persuade people to whatever you believe the truth is. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. When you look at whether the election was rigged, about half of voters say that it was. And that applies to Republican voters in 2020 and Democratic voters when we're talking about 2016. This is just what's going to happen. Part of this is realizing that you don't control civilization. You got to listen closely here, progressives, because this one's difficult. No matter how sure you are that you're 100 percent right, you're not going to get everyone to agree with you. That's not how this works. The scary part is that some of the leftist elites realize this, and that's why they're trying to put the power of the government at the helm, so that people who don't agree can be punished or silenced or worse. So if you want to buy or sell a home in times like these, you know it can be a challenge. And that's why realestateagentsitrust.com exists. Yes, it's true. If you have a big real estate transaction, you need to have the best people around you to make sure you can take advantage of it. If you're buying a home, if you're selling a home, you want to get the best price on either side of that transaction. Now, I have not scientifically investigated what occurs if you go to buy a home with your agent from realestateagentsitrust.com. And then the the people selling the home are also on realestateagentsitrust.com. I think it creates some sort of vortex and the universe spins out of control and we all die. So if if someone is selling a home already has a real estate agent from realestateagentsitrust.com, please don't go there because you could cause the destruction of the universe. But otherwise, go to realestateagentsitrust.com, get more information there, make sure your transaction goes as smoothly as possible. It's a big one. It's a home. Make sure it goes the right way for you. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Joining me now in studio, the one, the only, Dave Rubin. His new book is out, Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke Dystopia. It's available now. Be sure to pick up a copy today. As well, you can catch Dave, of course, on the Rubin Report right here on Blaze TV. Dave, how's it going? Stu, what was the funny part there? Was it the surviving or the thriving? The surviving is like, yeah, yeah we're kind of doing it. The thriving was what got you. Yeah, like, it was. Eh, thriving. I don't know. Well, that seems like a bit much. Most dystopian societies don't talk about thriving all that much. No. But here you are to bring us a positive message. Um, let me. I want to get into the book here in a second, but we just did a thing on uh, on this this misinformation board uh, yeah. that is that is happening. I mean, you've dealt with this. You were suspended for saying something about vaccines that is now apparently very easy to say. Anyone, anyone New York Times can say it. Anybody can say it now. The problem with trying to crack down on misinformation in this way, besides the fact that it's not really constitutional when the government does it, is that they can't figure out what it is. I mean, you know, this is uh, it's it's a process that seems completely uh, you'd say it's random if it wasn't targeted at one side all the time. Well, that's the key part right there. I was suspended in July of 2021 for saying that Vaccine mandates were coming and that vaccines were not working as promised. Mm -hmm. Well, we all know that the vaccines were not working as promised. We knew it then. We certainly know it now. (laughs) Uh, Joe Biden had said just before that, that uh, if you get the vaccine, you will not get nor transmit 
COVID, that either was a lie or disinformation yeah. or misinformation, or he was handed a piece of paper and just read something not knowing what he was saying. I mean, we can... It's a whole other topic, whether <laughs> yes, uh, whether anything that come out of his mouth is, yeah. is disinformation or honest or coming from his brain or whatever else. But the point is, I was suspended on Twitter for that. And then, of course, subsequently, over the course of a few months, it all turned out to be true. So I would say that, in essence, yesterday's conspiracy theories are <laughs> tomorrow's truth. And really, this has nothing to do with stifling disinformation. I mean, if you wanted to stifle disinformation, we need only look at the very people that are trying to institute some of this stuff and the lies that they have pushed, uh, whether it was Russia collusion or all of the COVID stuff, obviously, or Brett Kavanaugh as a serial rapist or a litany of other things. I mean, these people have lied either intentionally or misinformed, perhaps unintentionally, although I think we're past that point. They've done it for so long, mm -hmm. and what they really are trying to counter is that there are some people actually waking up to the nonsense. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this is happening at the exact same time as Elon Musk is buying Twitter and basically just saying, hey, say what you think, and then we'll see what happens. And that's the enemy. I mean, yeah. they're, they're terrified of that prospect. Yeah. Um, let me get into a piece of misinformation as it re regards to your book, because yes. I'm fascinated by this. Uh -oh, We've been dealing with this for a long me? time. No, well, uh, not you. I'm, I'm yes. fact-checking something around you. So. Your book, uh, this is your second one here in a row that has been hugely successful. People are buying it like crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. However, the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> Speaking of disinformation. It is among the most infuriating things I've yeah. ever witnessed. When, when Glenn's first book came out, um, or maybe it was his second book, I guess, we were, at, we were at, working at CNN Headline News to show you how times have changed. Yeah. And I remember it coming out, and we got the book scan numbers first. And the book scan numbers just tell you how many books are sold. Right. It's and just straight just up straight sales. numbers. Yeah, okay. Sales. Easy. To, we know how that works. Who sold the most books? That's kind of how we thought bestseller lists worked. And Glenn finished first. And then I think it was, I want to say it was Stephen Colbert. It was Colbert or John Stewart or something. It was in that era. And we came in second on the New York Times bestseller list, and, uh, and Stephen Colbert came in first. And we were so infuriated. Mm -hmm. Glenn's last book, to show you how far the New York Times has changed, he's, again, selling number one on BookScan yep. and is number 13, number 15, uh, not even on the list some weeks. I, I mean, the fact that this is still the thing people look to as a marker of what people are reading is insanity, and you've been affected by this now. Well, what's incredible about it, before I get into my sob story, <laughs> yeah. and thank you for queuing me up nicely, is that first off, let's just give Glenn some credit for a second. He sells so many books even now, and I, when I say even, uh, I mean even now meaning that it's much harder to sell books Yeah, these the book days. industry's changed. The book industry has, has massively changed. He's selling crazy bananas numbers. So this time, I think they did put him on for the Great Reset, but they put him much lower much than lower, he should yeah. be and all this mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm. But your basic point is, look, here we've got numbers. Sales are numbers, <laughs> right. right? It's pretty obvious. Yeah. You buy something, it gets ticked off, it's been purchased, move on. And everyone thought that's what the New York Times bestseller list meant. But in essence, it was their own sort of curated popularity contest. And there are certain things that they want you to see. There are certain things that they want their readers to see as relevant. And then there are certain books and ideas and people that they don't want on there. So by sales, we should have been number two in our debut week. Mm. Uh, and, and when you combine formats, meaning audio and everything else, perhaps we should have been number one. I, don't, I honestly don't care. Uh, truly, because it's all nonsense. Yeah. What I care about is that there are people that are duped by this. And yeah. if you think about the new, it's not about the importance of the sales and the numbers and that you get to say New York Times bestselling author. It doesn't matter anymore. It really doesn't. 
But if they lie about straight up numbers, as you said, book scan numbers that we know are hard facts, and I know facts are counter to the New York Times, then what else do you think they're lying about? Yeah. And I think if you can get people to see that conclusion, if we can get people to connect that, boy, you know, they manipulate. You think you're so bright, you read the Sunday Times, yeah. you think you're so enlightened, and you're getting all of the information. Well, by the way, they're lying to you about book sales, something pretty straight up. So you think they might be lying to you about some other stuff. And if we can actually pull that thread a little bit with people, I think we can break through to some of them. You know, a lot of people that are still paying attention to this stuff are completely brainwashed. And, and maybe <laughs> yeah. we're never going to get them. Yeah. But I think it's, it's worth a shot. So I, I don't care about the Crimea River aspect as much as I'm very proud that people read the book and, and seem to be digging it. And, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You and know, it, we'll just keep pushing on. I think, I think you identify exactly why it fascinates me in that, you know, this is something basic. It's like the score of a basketball game. Right. And it's like they're just altering it for some mysterious reason. This is not the year 1875 and they're trying to like, you know, figure <laughs> out who's buying books in the, on the frontier. Right. right. Like this is everyone knows how many books are sold. There's a list published that tells you exactly how much. And what I also find fun, fun, uh, fundamentally interesting about it is that the, the story I, I described with Glenn is, is exactly true. It, it, when we first started writing books, he would, they would move it a slot or two. And you could t it was frustrating because they yes. would manipulate it and they would change the order a little bit. But they wouldn't deny that the number one book in the country was really not even on the list. Now they're at the point, this is what they're doing. They're taking the list, the number one, number two best-selling books, throwing them off the list completely. And it shows, this is the same way their news coverage has changed. It always leaned left a little bit. Now it's just completely bonkers. But I guess the, the good thing for us and people that, enjoy what we do, is the mask is coming off this thing. Because mm. you're right. When they could say, okay, the number two book, technically, let's put it at four. It's right. like, ah, okay. maybe there's some way you can fiddle with some stuff. Okay, kind of. But when they completely change things, and then it's just obvious, right? Mm -hmm. So there are, I don't even know what the other books actually were on the list. I mean, I saw the full thing. I, yeah. But there's nothing that's really culturally relevant that right. I was, like, I think Molly Shannon, the comedian or former <laughs> comedian, had a book. Okay, good good, good for, for Molly her. Shannon. Yeah. But the point is, I had this book. I'm, I'm the only one, I think, as far as I know, that was in those top... I wasn't even in the top 15, but out of the people on the 15, that is touring in sold out clubs across the country. <laughs> right. Like there's something relevant there, mm -hmm. uh, but they not only don't put you on there, they don't, they don't write a review or anything. But again, it's like, all right, you're duping your own people. And th the issue that I think you're hitting on is sort of, if you just dupe these people over time and over time and over time and over time, well, you're not a newspaper anymore. So <laughs> right. when the New York Times used to say it's all the news to, that fits to print, it's actually all the news that fits the narrative. And if we can, again, just get that idea out to people, just understand they're lying to you about an awful lot of stuff. Mm. And if you get that, then you can hopefully start seeing the light. So I appreciate you bringing it up and I will <laughs> continue. Well, you know, the other interesting thing about this, as you know, is that the entire publishing world has been based for 40 years on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. The whole thing was just get on the New York Times bestseller list. So by the time I wrote the first book, that was already starting to crumble. Mm -hmm. Now, as you say, it's just, now it's a joke. Like really I can is. tell you truly from the highest levels of the publishing people that I'm involved with at the big companies, everyone's like, the whole thing's a farce. Don't get your panties in a bunch. Yeah. Life goes on. It's more about, I've noticed that they're more about just warning the authors. Don't worry it's, about it's, it. Yes. It's okay. Yes. We don't care. Yeah. Um, so let's go to the actual content of the book here. Um, yeah. because Although that's not too far from the content of the book, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This idea that media 
mainstream corporate media cannot be trusted. Yeah. Um, you, you set up current society, modern society, in an interesting way, in a battle between self-care and self-reliance. Yeah. Explain this out a little bit, because I don't think I've ever heard this explained this way. Well, we're obsessed with self-care, or at least this idea of self-care, that everything should just be catered to us and very easy and simple, and you should be able to get food delivered to you at the click of a button, and everything should appear all the time, and you know we should have monthly subscription services to all of our prescription medication, <laughs> and that we should basically just be, as I talk about in the book, we should be the characters in the Disney movie, dare I say Disney anymore, mm -hmm. uh, but Disney was decent for at least a little period of time, uh, the Disney movie WALL-E, which you may remember, yeah. where in essence, you know, people had just become these sort of big fat blobs that existed in this futuristic spaceship and that had all of their carnal needs fed to them and that were just eating and drinking and watching things all the time. And they were just sort of these... Or, semi-autonomous nothings that floated throughout the, the <laughs> ship. That's very different than self-reliance uh, because self-reliance is knowing how to do some things. Basic things. I'm talking things that we all knew how to do. Stu, how old are you? Uh, 46. Six. Yeah. I'm 45, okay. Stu, so mm -hmm. I'm the younger one here on the show. But, <laughs> but you know, people, especially before us, yeah. knew how to do some stuff. Oh, you yeah. might know how to change tires, mm -hmm. Stu. Uh, you might know how to grow a garden. You might know how to do some basic electric work. You might know how to reset a breaker. No one knows how to do these things anymore, meaning, meaning millennials basically don't know how to do things. They've been catered to to the point that they actually, if, if the poop hit the fan, and we've seen a lot of that over the last two years with lockdowns and violence and defund the police and all these things, that nobody can really do anything for themselves anymore. And you better learn how to be self-reliant because the big systems are crumbling. You, you may like the idea that you can do everything off the click of your phone, uh, but there is a real danger in that because it's disarming you from being able to take care of yourself. It's interesting because it is, I think, it, like I am pathetic with most things and being able to do them. I would not consider myself particularly you good at what you're talking about. You haven't fallen out of the chair about. yet. No, it's true. Been pretty good. I can change a tire, a garden. I just hope Taco Bell's still open, yeah. right? So that's just, that's the whole thing. But it's like millennials and younger people who are yeah. generally more leaning left wing as far as voters go and their interests are the ones who have embraced this lifestyle. And this lifestyle is only made possible by capitalism, yes. which they seem to hate. And I don't know how, I mean, if capitalism goes away, uh, as they seem to want to when they go to the polls, they seem to indicate that's their preference. All these things go away. The DoorDash doesn't come deliver when the, when the government's in charge of it. Young people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we have to accept that and deal with it. Yeah. I can see how you become an old man yelling at a cloud. You yes. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can really see how that happens. Look, the more that things get automated, the more that humans get removed from the system, the more that feeds a socialist monster because socialism in many ways is very anti-human. Capitalism is human, meaning that people like to freely exchange things. You have a skill or a good or a service, and I have a skill or a good or a service or money, and then we can exchange this openly, and then someone comes in with a better product, and then now the price goes down, and we can do this, this dance that is very uh, holistic in, in its sense of humans operating together by right. choice, right? It's amazing. It's incredible. What's happening because of technology is we are now automating everything to the point where we're removing humans from it. So DoorDash, guess what? We may not like what's going on and everybody may be able to do it all by a click of a button, but eventually they won't need you know, drivers in those cars because it'll be automated cars and it will be drones that are dropping these things off. So we have to be very careful what we ask for. You know, Technology, the phone in our pocket, this is a tool 
I would say the same way something like, or a technology the same way something like fire is. You know, fire is obviously great. It can warm your home and it can cook your food. It can also burn down that same house and burn you. So we really have to think, what are we really doing with all of this stuff? And I don't have an answer for that. I think the answer is personal for everybody. How connected do you want to be all the time? And how much reliance do you want to have on something that, you know, could just, the grid could go down one day and now you don't know how to do anything. Yeah, there's a mixture there. There's, yeah. there's some sort of midpoint. Uh, last one before you go. Um, there's a, I think there's a debate on the right that is growing in which capitalism is coming under more question than I think it has previously. I think that the love for free markets has always been something associated with the right that the left has fought against. Yeah. And the left still hates it. The right, there's a split, though. I think we know some of the outcomes of the free market. We've talked about them here. You know, even with things like Disney, we haven't we don't like what's happening. And, and there's been a pushback against, uh, I don't know, not against capitalism, but a, a worry that capitalism can't solve all of our, all of our problems. How do you see this playing out, and, and what's the right answer here? Look, capitalism, as far as I can see it, is the best of all man-made systems because it allows for the most competition. And as I said earlier, that that's the most human thing that there is. It, it mm-hmm. leaves a little bit to chance. It leaves a little bit to human ingenuity. It leaves a little bit to hard work and luck and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So that, to me, is the best system. But is there anything that's perfect? I mean, I think this is what people always want, something that's just absolutely perfect. But perfection, I don't think, is attainable, actually. And, and perfection will lead you far closer to dystopia than to utopia. So is it possible that a corporation could become so large and buy all of the competition, thus crushing competition, and now prices rise and you're under their boot all the time? Of course. And does that happen? Of course. However, human ingenuity always finds a way. Jeff Goldblum in uh, Jurassic Park, life <laughs> finds a way. So I think as long as the conditions are, of freedom are there, we could maybe do some things on the margins. I would say related to the Disney situation, look, they took a political position that apparently has turned out to be quite unpopular. <laughs> yeah. And it's cost them $41 billion roughly in the last month or so. That is pretty spectacular. And not only that, because that's the market talking. De- you mm-hmm. know, DeSantis didn't go in and send the troops in and break up the board. He just basically said, hey, I'm gonna stand against your beliefs related to the you know bill HB 1557, which quote unquote, don't say gay, although sure. they could have called it don't say straight. That would have also made equal sense mm-hmm. because the word gay is not in there. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been equally wrong. <laughs> and it would have been, it would have been yeah, equally yeah, yeah, wrong. Yeah. At least do something equal, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by DeSantis taking away some of Disney's special privileges, I think this is perhaps what you're talking about. This is where some conservatives were like, no, don't, don't push Disney too hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I believe you should take away all their special privileges. They shouldn't have special tax breaks that other companies have. They uh, don't have. They shouldn't have special laws, which they have in Orlando, and, uh, and special... I mean, they can do their own roads and all of these things yeah. that maybe made some of it maybe made sense for expansion 50 years ago, but it doesn't make sense anymore. And uh, I don't want to be governed by a fictitious mouse. No, even if they come from California. It sounds even so delightful. From California. <laughs> all right. Dave Rubin, the book uh, is out now. Make sure you pick up a copy. It's not it's not going to help him on the New York Times bestseller list, but do, buy it anyway. <laughs> uh, don't burn this country surviving and thriving in your in our woke uh, dystopia. It is available now wherever you get your books and don't miss out on Dave Rubin's show. Of course, you're on Blaze TV. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu. Dave, thanks for coming on. Good to see you, my friend. I want to send out a message to all the fans out there just to make sure don't worry if they go MIA for a little bit. That didn't make much sense, did it? 
Well, let me give you a quick little woke quiz and see if you can piece this one together, okay? Here's a quote. What are we talking about in this story? Here it is. The artist has been open about their ongoing health issues and told fans not to worry if they go MIA for a bit. Told fans not to worry if they go MIA for a bit. Who are we asking? Who are we telling not to worry if they go MIA for a bit? Who is the subject? How can you tell? Well, you might say, well, fans, right? If fan, we're telling fans, don't worry if they go MIA for a bit. Well, no, we're talking about the artist who identifies as a they. So this story, and it's amazing, it's about Halsey, who's apparently a singer or something, I don't know. But it's fascinating to read this. My wife reads a lot of pop culture, and she's like, I can't even understand the story. Who's they? The word they is a plural. And then if you were to say something to Halsey, would she say, uh, well, uh, let me talk about us for a second, meaning me. Would you say me? Would you say us? How can anyone keep control, uh, keep, uh, con- you know, uh, understanding of any of this crap? Uh, they're just changing the language. Can we at least use terms that actually work in the sentences? It's a minor question. I don't know. Oh, by the way, CNN Plus going to be closing down. I don't know if you heard that. You may have heard the footsteps of dancing on graves over the past. That's sad that we shouldn't talk like that. But they're going to be seizing uh, operations two days earlier. That's right. They couldn't even last. It's funny because they had initially announced they were going to to close the thing down. And everyone was saying they didn't even last a month. Well, actually, technically, they announced the closing before a month. But it was going to last one month and one day. Now it's going to be one day short of a month. So really sad. And by the way, if you signed up for $3 a month, They said they were going to prorate your return. My understanding is now they're giving you the full $3 back. They're not going to prorate it. They're not going to say, hey, you did get 24 days of of content here, so we're going to charge you $2.11. No, no, you're getting the full three bucks back. So party time. Go to wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts or watch your uh, news content and check us out. Uh, we're available, of course, at blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew to save 10 bucks. And also, that's how they know you like this stupid show. So always use the promo codes. Uh, or you can just review the show. We'd appreciate that as well. Make sure to subscribe wherever you are. And you can comment during the show on youtube.com slash America. Veronica writes, this show could ha- should have a trillion views. It is Really good. Listen to Veronica. The central theme of this show since its launch was listen to Veronica. She's always right. Uh, Another one. uh, Damn. We need to get Stu to the masses. To a million. Watch your language, boys and girls. But thank you very much. We, of course, do appreciate that as well. Five stars comes in from Gaffapalooza. Stu gaffing the name of the Joe Biden gaff triangle. Classic. It's also classic, by the way, you misspelled gaff. Okay? So don't get too critical. But I will say... I could never freaking remember the name of the Joe Biden gaff triangle of emotion, I believe it is, uh, something like that. Anyway, if you thought my gaff was bad or my constant gaffing every other show was bad, wait till you see this. That will enhance our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their, take their, their ill-begotten gains. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy, uh, uh, yeah, kleptocracy, mm. Klep- the yeah. guys who are the kleptocracies. 
but these are bad guys. <laughs> okay, so we plotted this, of course, on the Joe Biden gaff triangle of emotion, which is, again, I think I sent that name, but I didn't mean we had to lock that name in. Now it is locked in. Here it is. I think it's all the way here, on full on the sad side of the gaff triangle of emotion, and then up toward the scary side. It's not really funny. He laughs. Nobody else does. And that is the constant refrain of Americans right now. Joe Biden might be laughing, but we're not. We've launched a new streaming platform called Stew Plus, and it's available now. You can go to stewdoesmerch.com and at least get the mugs. By the way, if you go to YouTube and uh, click subscribe and click the bell, you can be alerted to our Stew Plus live programming throughout the day. Yes, we do pop on live from time to time. Check it out. Use the code STU10, by the way. Get 10% off.